Thank you so much for being here. It's just wonderful to be here in person. Every time I do come back in person, I'm reminded that this is just the way church is supposed to be, even though we're at limited capacity and limited uh, attendance. This is, this is what church should be, and I, I look forward to the day uh, that, that we are back to a normal time. But um, we're continuing our series, uh, and, and welcome. I don't mean to exclude those who are watching online and who need to watch uh, remotely for whatever circumstances you might have. Welcome. It's, it's great to be with you as well. Uh, we're continuing our, our Exodus series. Exodus, that's also one of my favorite Bob Marley songs and albums. Uh, Exodus, uh, going to be in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 22, the whole third chapter of Exodus. We've been going chapter by chapter so far. So I will pray and then we'll jump right into it as we have a lot of Scripture to cover. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for liberating your people, bringing us out of uh, the clutches of sin and death uh, into your kingdom. And if anyone doesn't know that you are their deliverer, I pray that they would today, that you would convict us, encourage us, exhort us, call us, and be very present with us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Exodus 3, uh, verses 1 through 22. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, 
Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So, I feel like I need a moment of silence after all that reading. So this this is the famous burning bush passage. If you know nothing about the Bible... Uh, the Christian story, the Jewish story. You, you might have heard this. Uh, you might be vaguely familiar with the faming burning bush passage. If you're like me, this, this scene is forever etched in my memory by the, the famous 1950s movie, The Ten Commandments. Um, I grew up watching that every year at Easter. I still watch it every year at Easter. Um, the famous Charlton Heston, epic 1950s movie. Uh, Charlton Heston is both Moses and the voice of God at the burning bush. So Charlton Heston is calling to himself in that scene, in that famous interaction. Uh, somebody has to play the voice of God, and you know why wouldn't it be Charlton Heston? So lots of creative license in the film, of course, uh, but it does very dramatically capture this instance of God calling Moses. That's that's the the high point of this narrative so far. God is calling Moses. And I do recommend the the 1950s Ten Commandments. And hey, Easter is coming up, so it's a fine time to watch it. Um, You might need a couple sessions to get through it, though. It's very long. But um, the one whom God uh, has called to liberate his his people, his his million-plus people from slavery in Egypt... Uh, is called to a very high calling, certainly one of the highest callings on any individual in human history. I don't think it's a stretch to say that. Uh, but even in this, this very ancient, this very incredible, but this very real story, I stress this very real story, uh, there's something for us, contemporary Chicagoans, there's something very contemporary 
about the way that God interacts with people. There's something very alive about the way that called Moses, something very relevant for us, in fact. Uh, In every generation, God is calling people to himself. In fact, if you're sitting here, God has called you in some way. There's a calling on your life if you're sitting here. Each person sitting here has been called by God in some way. I I hope and pray that uh, if you have not discerned his calling on your life, that you would begin to following this service today. But uh, it's, it's very crucial to understand something about the God who does call us. And, and our passage very skillfully shows us a bit of the character and nature and even name of this God who does call. And as both creator and father, as both creator and father, God interacts with and calls people to himself. I think that's a very important point as both creator and father. You see, if he was just the creator God, which he is, but if God were just creator, there's, there's room there for, well, what kind of creator is he? He, he could be the, the sort of divine watchmaker, you know, the God of the deists who simply, who simply wound up the world, just set the world in motion and walked away leaving it to just run on its own terms until it eventually runs out someday. That's not the God of our passage. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that I'm, I'm standing here for. I hope it's not the God that you're, you're sitting here for today. Uh, that we have a different kind of God, both creator and father, who calls sons and daughters, a God who is actively and lovingly and personally present with his people, even calling them by name. Moses. Moses. Not just Moses, but Moses. Moses. Calling him twice, emphatically, for emphasis. You know that God calls us personally by name in the, in the same way. Finley. Finley. God calls even Finley by name. God personally calls us intensely calls us, repeats Moses' name twice. There, there is a commonality to the way that God calls us in every generation. There's a personal nature. There's an emphatic nature. Moses, Moses. God personally calls people by name. God is the one who initiates the calling. So that's another very important point in our passage. <laughs> Moses didn't stumble you know, yes, he, he came upon the burning bush, but do you, do you seriously think the bush was just burning and, and Moses just happened to find it? No, God, God manifested himself to Moses in a personal encounter. That wasn't a chance encounter. It was a personal encounter. God is initiating the contact with Moses, calling him by name. Moses, uh, another, another similarity to the way that God called Moses to the way that he calls us, is that Moses is not doing anything necessarily crucial or well-known or um, famous. You know, he, he's engaged in a mundane life. He uh, is 80 years old at this point in the story. You know, of course, he was a prince in Egypt, but he fled Egypt. He, he made a mistake. He goofed up. Uh, he killed a man and fled Egypt, and it's been 40 years, so his princely Egyptian identity. It it's, doesn't define him right now. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's a Hebrew sheep herder at this point. 
he's not doing anything spectacular. He's living his life. But God interrupts his life. God interrupts his life with a spectacular calling. God can interrupt our lives at any stage of our lives, even when we're 80 years old. So if you're, if you're getting up, you know, if you're like me, 40 is looking closer and closer, or, or, or maybe if you're here today and 40 is looking further and further, um, God can interrupt your life at any point for a dramatic encounter for whatever type of calling he may be calling us to. If, if we sense God's calling, if we can um, discern, as Moses did, if we can discern the outline of the flames, as it were, well, I think it's important to look, to turn aside to look, to, to actually model what, what Moses is doing. You know, the, the great characters, the great, I sh- you know, I hesitate to say heroes of the Bible, you know, the, the, these primary characters of the Bible, really they're all secondary characters, but um, they're all fallen and broken and, and um, complicated and sinful people, but often, you know, we should emulate a lot of the things that we see, including turning aside to look, turning aside to look. If we can see the outline of the flames, if we can perceive uh, God's voice, calling us. It is important to say, here I am, Lord, as Moses did. Here I am, Lord. Calling comes in many varieties. Okay, I've been using kind of loftier language, spectacular and dramatic and things, but the reality is um, we're not Moses. We're not Moses. God calls us to very mundane things. You know, maybe he's calling us to something big for us. Maybe it's a vocational calling. Maybe it's something to do with career or work, something like that. Um, Maybe it's something as simple as initiating contact with our neighbors. Maybe it's something as simple as as being open about our, our Christian faith in our workplace. Maybe our calling is to uh, just, you know, the, the simple joys of uh, parenthood, um, the simple joys and challenges of parenthood. You know, maybe like me, you're being called into parenthood for the first time and are terrified at that. But, you know, God calls people in many and various ways, uh, all of them significant, not all of them this, you know, liberating a people from an oppressive state such as Moses was called to. But his calling, uh, there's something sacred about any calling that God could call us to. Maybe it's to seek uh, just, maybe it's, yeah, going off script here and struggling to find something else that he might call us to. Not feeling very creative today. God can call us to literally anything. Are we discerning? Are we discerning his call and are we willing to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I might not be feeling up to the task. (laughs) I'm not feeling necessarily up to the task of fatherhood, but here I am, Lord. And that's something else uh, common to the way that God calls people. You see that the recipients, such as Moses, such as I'm trying to demonstrate, they're often jolted by what God does call them to. There's, there's often this sense of inadequacy. There's often a feeling of inadequacy. Uh, Moses makes it plain. He says, who am I? 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who who am I to undertake this literally impossible calling as an 80-year-old sheep herder who failed 40 years ago to to do that in in the the vigor of my youth, of my young 40 years? I I prefer to, to look at 40 as a young age these days. Moses tried and failed in his strength to do what God was now calling him to do in his weakness of old age, although Moses was a spry 80-year-old. He had another, another 40 years to go, so he was still kind of a young man at this point. Um, the task, whatever he is, the task is, is too great. It's obviously too great for Moses. Some of us might have perceived God's calling and just felt totally inadequate, even to a small thing like being feeling totally inadequate, flat out scared to, to say, yeah, I, actually, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in Jesus. Um, I know that, you know, the, the sort of cultural view of who I am and what I believe is, is pretty negative and, and for good reason in a lot of cases, but nonetheless, I I've trusted Jesus as my Lord. I, I believe in his claims. I've found him to be um, sufficient to meet my lack, uh, to, to just give my life a sense of purpose, and to be actually intellectually um, coherent to me. I've, I've found the worldview to be um, substantive in a way that other worldviews have not been to me maybe even vocalizing something along those lines to the people that God has put in our lives is an absolutely impossible task. And to me, it feels like an impossible task often. There's just often a sense of just complete inadequacy to what God is calling us to. And yes, parenthood, I, I feel totally inadequate for that. Finley agrees. It's... <laughs> It's, it's a high and holy calling, and I have deep respect for the parents in the room uh, and hope to model the great parenting I've seen from them. So perhaps um, we do feel inadequate as Moses felt very inadequate, understandably, to his calling. We can and should look to the way that God answers Moses for strength for whatever he's calling us to. Uh, God, in this instance, teaches Moses what he teaches all of us whom he calls. Whoever God calls to whatever he calls, he doesn't tend to teach them that he is sufficient. You see, you see that in the way that, that, that God answers Moses. Moses is overwhelmed by his calling as liberator, but God is not overwhelmed. God is not remotely overwhelmed. God called Moses to the task. You see, God is so, so above this. He's so adequate. He doesn't even answer Moses. He, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even directly answer Moses. It's because the reality of who God is is more important than the circumstances that he's calling Moses to. God's name is bigger than Moses' reality. God's name and therefore his identity, and therefore his capability is bigger than whatever circumstance we could possibly find ourselves in. <laughs> Any circumstance, even this, this sheer impossibility 
of liberating an entire people from an oppressive state. And Moses is still overwhelmed. He still can't help but, but press God. He says, what shall I tell them about the identity of this God who is sending me? Now, keep in mind, this, this is a polytheistic culture. There are many gods that are worshipped by the various nations. So it's kind of understandable that Moses would want that clarification. You know, he was raised in Egypt. He certainly knows the Hebrew people. He certainly knows that that's his lineage, that they worship this one God, apparently. But he grew up as a polytheistic Egyptian. So he's asking a reasonable question. Who's, what God is sending me to this impossible death? What's the name of this God? Who shall I tell them uh, is, is sending me? Before I move further there, let me just ask us, do we, do we know the identity of the God who's calling us into our vocations, the God who's calling us and present with us in the midst of this, I'm just going to say it, polytheistic culture that we live in? Do we know the identity of, of the God who says uh, who he is to Moses? When Moses says, who am I? God says, I am who I am. Isn't that the most peculiar answer imaginable? Moses says, who am I to undertake this? And God doesn't answer it at all. He says, I am who I am. Who am I? I am who I am. You see the obviously intentional word and letter play there? Who am I? I am who I am. Who am I? The same words are repurposed in the identity of this enigmatic God. I am who I am. See what he's doing? He, God is redefining who Moses is by who he is. Who am I? I am who I am. <laughs> Moses is not just Moses. He's Moses in this God who is. He's defined by this God who is. And just a quick aside, I am who I am uh, has the letters in English, the, the consonants that we call Y-H-W-H. Uh, or Yahweh. So when you see, that's a shortened way to say I am who I am. That's, that's the name of God, the shortened form of this I am who I am. When you see the, the letters, when you see the word Lord in all capitals, in anywhere in the Bible, that's this word Yahweh. In Judaism, it became a tradition to not actually say the divine name. They, they held it in such esteem. We, we would do well to learn from our from our Jewish predecessors. They held the divine name in such esteem, they wouldn't even say it. So they replaced it with Lord. Now I encourage you to say God's name, Yahweh. But when you see Lord in the Bible, it was out of the tradition in Judaism that the divine name was too holy to even say. And so, so it came down to us, Lord, in all caps, anywhere in the Bible, that's Yahweh. God alone defines who God is. In human terms, obviously, to name something, you're exercising some type of authority. If you name something, you, you, you have some kind of dominion over that person or thing or object or pet. To name something is to exercise authority over that. Well, only God can name who God is. As a matter of fact, not only can only God name who God is, only God can say God's name. Only God can say the name of God unless he gives you his name. 
Only God can even pronounce the name of God. He's, he's so transcendently in authority that only he can take his name on his lips unless he gives you his name. Only God names God. Only God defines God. God is utterly free. He is undetermined. There is no external force that can affect him in any way. Certainly no one can name God. Only God can name God. And his name defines what is peculiar to him alone. Eternity. Eternity is peculiar to God alone. I am who I am. You see the eternity in that name. I am who I am without beginning or end. It's strange and wonderful. Our God is strange and wonderful. I am who I am. And I am, very crucially, with Moses. I am with Moses. You see, God invites Moses to take off his shoes. His, his holy presence would kill Moses. But God is establishing his holy presence with Moses. He doesn't mean to kill Moses. He means to invite Moses into his presence. Do you still feel inadequate? Do you still feel inadequate to your calling? This is the God who's calling you. This is the God who's calling Moses, the God without beginning or end. I am who I am. I am who I am is adequate for any calling the God of eternity, the totally free God who is totally unaffected by any external pressure. I am who I am. If our God is the I am God of Moses, if he is Yahweh, the Father of Christ, we'll be okay. We will succeed in our calling because the I am God is with us. The God of Moses, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God whose name is the same in every generation is, is our God, the God who gathers us here today. And, and the character of this God, as I said, he, it, it, he is holy. He is a holy God. This is a burning bush. This is not a soaking wet bush. This is a burning bush. This is a bush on fire but that God is maintaining through his creative power. God is maintaining even the life of Moses by his creative power. Moses should, should have died in the presence of this holy God. But God maintains the life of Moses because he's showing us that he's God with Moses and thereby God with his people. He has seen their affliction by, by showing himself to be the God who is the I am God with Moses, the holy one in the midst of Moses. He's the Holy One in the midst of his afflicted people. <laughs> Therefore, he's, he's trustworthy to bring them out of their affliction. He, he is trustworthy to deliver them. I am who I am. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that can possibly stand up to this God who is eternal. Pharaoh and all his hordes, all the armies of Egypt, it's not even worth dignifying with finishing that sentence. They're, they're just nothing. They're nothing absolutely nothing in the midst of this I am God. This is the same holy God that confronts us, the same blazing presence that confronts us every day of our lives, that maintains our, our entire life, breath by breath. We're maintained by the holy God who is with us. Maybe we don't fully appreciate 
uh, how incredible it is that a holy God, an eternal and holy God, calls us into his service, even calls us to what seem like mundane callings. No, it's a holy God. It's a holy and eternal God calling us to whatever he's calling us to. Certainly, I often fail to appreciate that, and I would do well, as I feel that we all would, to recover a sense of reverence for the presence of a holy God, for the holy ground that we're literally standing on right now. This is holy ground. The church is holy ground. And not just this worship service and building, but the church, the people, the people of God, stand on holy ground. I want to recover a sense of the reverence that Moses had in the presence of a holy God. In particular, when I'm struggling, when it's easier to forget, when life is crushing me in every possible way, I want to remember that I'm on holy ground, that that the presence of God is actively sustaining me in whatever circumstance I'm in, even the most mundane circumstances. It's holy ground. Reflecting on his holiness, his otherness, but his otherness with us and for us, uh, we will approach what the Bible calls that peace that surpasses all understanding. It's impossible to achieve peace, real peace, peace that is substantive, that um, is strong even under the most afflictive circumstances, a peace truly that passes all understanding. It's only really possible when you remember that you're on holy ground. Therefore, your circumstances might not need to be different because you're on holy ground in the presence of God, and there's nothing that really affects God. I am who I am, or I will be what I will be, as it's also translated. Reflecting on God rather than ourselves, the holy God who calls us into his kingdom and even allows us to participate in the work of his kingdom, this holy God. The, the, only, the only true and proper response to that is worship. It is the only right response. That's at the heart of this biblical narrative. Worship. Worship. God is bringing his people out of slavery to sacrifice and to worship him for the purpose of worshiping him, for the purpose of worshiping this God who is holy. He's bringing his people to this land that is rich with sustenance, that they might worship him. It's not about the milk and the honey. It's about the worship. (laughs) It's about worshiping the God who is holy. And this land, this is a really, really important point that's that's often missed. Uh, This land currently is owned and inhabited by other people. So what about that? What about that? That's a crucial point in this narrative. Israel is inheriting a land in which the primary work of that land has already been done. You understand that the infrastructure is already built up. Uh, The fields are tilled. Israel is not breaking the ground of that land. They're not building up that land. They'll, They'll live and work and build that land. You know, they'll build their culture, but they're inheriting this built land. They're inheriting something they haven't deserved. They don't deserve it by their slavery. They're being given it as a gift of grace. They're being graced. They're being given this gift of a new land, of a new kingdom. They're inheriting a kingdom by the grace of God alone. In Christ, God is preparing a place for us. 
You see why, that, why that it's important about that land? It's not the Israelites' land, but yeah, God is giving it to them by His grace. In Christ, God is preparing a place for us with His own hands or with His own spoken word. The emphasis is on His gracious gift from creation to new creation. The first human beings alive simply inherited the creation. You think they deserved? You think they built? They weren't the creators. They inherited something that was already built for them. Uh, They were called to uh, steward and exercise dominion over and build up that land, but they didn't lay the groundwork of that land. We're called to steward that same creation today. Uh, in, In the new kingdom, at the return of Christ, we will build culture, we will build the land, we will inherit, um, we will establish and you know, do all the things of human culture that we do in this life, but God is laying the groundwork with his own hands. We inherit a kingdom that is already ready. It's by his grace alone. God is the master uh, ground layer. God lays the foundation, and His blazing holy presence will be visible to the entire creation where we will be free for the purpose of worshiping Him every day of our lives. That is what freedom is. It's freedom for that purpose. We were made for that purpose. Freedom is to be free for the purpose of fulfilling the purpose that we were created for. That's what freedom is. It's to be able to worship God. That's the point of the human being, to worship God, to enter into the Trinitarian love of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what it means to be human. You know, that's what it means to be human. That's the ultimate reality of God defining Moses, not by Moses-ness, but by Godness. You see, God calls Moses by name. He dignifies Moses by calling him by his name. He personalizes Moses. But he redefines Moses' personhood according to the I am-ness of his own person. We don't lose our personhood in God. Our personhood is elevated. It's, It's leveled up into the true nature of what it was created for. That's our inheritance in Christ. That's our inheritance is Christ. To be free is not to just be free from constraints. You know, our society will only define it that way. Anything that even smells like a constraint or a restriction on any part of me, that society's just weak, weak, weak definition of freedom. Uh, I'll quote someone smarter than me, a theologian named Cyril O'Regan, who says, to be free is not only to have avoided the coercion of others, but also the compulsion of the idols of one's own world, and above all, the compulsion and idol that is yourself. To be free ultimately is to be free from myself, from my disordered mind, from my tendency to self-destruct, from my tendency to harm others, from my tendency to rebel against my creator. To be free is to be free from those tendencies. To, to have a greater personhood in the image of my creator. The band can go ahead and come back up. I want to leave us with this, what I think is the most important word that I've said. The freest 
freest, freest, freest man that ever lived. Right? The freest man that ever lived. Allowed evil men to nail his hands and feet to a piece of wood. The freest man that ever lived gave up his freedom in the most painful and shameful way imaginable. For us, for us, for us. Gave up his freedom for us. Sacrificed his freedom to set us free from our own self-destruction. From our own self-destruction. Jesus is the ultimate recipient of the Father's call. Moses just prefigures Jesus. Moses foreshadows Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate called one. The ultimate one called by the Father to bring his deliverance to the, to the world. Not just to this nation of Israel, but to the world. Jesus is the ultimate one who was called to bring deliverance to his global people. To free his people from the slavery of Satan's sin and death. To set them freely into his kingdom of life and peace. Freedom for the purpose of worshiping him in his kingdom of life and peace. Having thus been called by God into salvation, he does call us into his service. And I didn't plan this, but it is, you know, the, the mention of serving teams. I think it's a tie-in. I think uh, it's a natural segue for me to say God does call us into his service. Maybe it's, maybe God is calling you into a, uh, you know, a service role at Trinity. I think that's a very, very worthwhile calling. Maybe God is calling you to a renewed sense of what he has called you to. Maybe, maybe you're just in his calling. Maybe you're living into whatever that is, your, your parenthood, your vocation, um, your interactions with others, your witness in the wider world. Maybe God is wanting to just reaffirm that, to say your name, to, to repeat your name directly. Moses, Moses. Maybe he's, he's just redefining, reasserting his blazing, holy, adequate presence in your life. Maybe he's calling you into something brand new. Maybe that new thing is the repentance and faith that is required to come into his kingdom for the first time. Maybe he's calling you to that high and worthwhile calling. Uh, whatever our calling, God invites us onto the holy ground of his presence. If, if you've been edified in some way, in any small way from this message, uh, just consider Easter is coming up fast. It's a very natural time still in our culture. It's a very natural time to invite someone to come with you to church, even if it's online. I would encourage you uh, to do that if you're up for it. So I'll just close this in prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for calling us into new life, calling us into new relationship with you, with yourself, and by extension with your people. Thank you for calling us into this great global and historic family of the saints. I pray for those, Lord, who, who are on the fence today, who are, who are not sure that you would clearly, clearly and manifestly and obviously just speak their name. In Jesus' name, amen.